AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Linux is everywhere, running on all these different things. And Linux is an operating system where a lot of people feel like, oh, they don't even need to run antivirus software or anything that's going to detect malware. So when you see in a case where there's some new Trojan that definitely has an impact on the device, definitely want to be aware of it. Make sure your device isn't infected with this Trojan. It's the Linux Proxy M Trojan. Uh, and Hacker News just had a story about it. Basically, it, it recently added spam which is a little unique for a Trojan like this, that it's not, you know, normally we see these IoT botnets doing DDoS primarily, but this one added the ability to do mass spam. Usually these IoT botnets like Mirai are tailored to do DDoS. So, you know, a botnet like this executing spam is, is kind of unique. It runs a SOX proxy on infected IoT devices, and actually it's capable of detecting honeypots, which I thought was interesting. So even, you know, the people who are trying to track these things, it, it can detect that. Yeah, I noticed that um, when it first gets in there, it tries to execute a few commands to try to detect whether it's in a honeypot or not before yeah. it proceeds. Yeah. That's interesting. And then it connects to a command and control server, looks for logins and passwords, and after it sets up the proxy, it gives you all the credentials and a default uh, email to send out, and that's, you know, it's uh, adult content uh, email that it sends out, and, you know, it's, and then it can send command and control to all its infected bots and spam away. The so. proxy thing is not completely unusual either. Like, we've seen a lot of these turned into um, proxy bot-based botnets, um, but like you said, I haven't seen them do spamming operations right. through these IoT devices And also before. it's Linux-based, which is sort of unique. We see more of this stuff, or traditionally we've always seen this stuff on Windows devices, but... Don't we usually request or suggest that we block back ports from firewalls and network, you know, yeah. controls? Yeah, I think you're right. Right. And actually what I've seen with some of these IoT devices, like these embedded Linux ones, when they get compromised, they'll kick up a SOX proxy... Uh, service on the device, but not on a port that you expect. So it's uh, not like on port 1080. It's on another one that they know that that's how you would communicate to it. And they also will usually apply some um, password, like login and password credentials that only they know. Right. And then they'll have some other infrastructure that you know communicates through it so they can sell it off and let people use it. Um, it's interesting. So yeah, I mean, nothing, you know, another interesting one we might take a look add it to some tasking, see what we can see, how it changes moving forward, and, you know, just see what, what this thing looks like um, coming up. Yeah, there's definitely lots of families of malware. I hadn't heard about this one before, Yeah, but definitely another one to keep an eye on to see if it gets bigger, because if it does, then it could be more of a problem for lots of people. How are they becoming infected? How is the Linux machine? Or the Linux so device? it's, you know, a standard vulnerable IoT device kind of what we see all the time, right? I would it's, venture to guess they're probably guessing default passwords. Yeah, port 23. 99%. Uh, not guessing, they know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The known default <laughs> password yeah. is being used. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So. The way we protect ourselves from problems like this is really to patch those IoT devices. So uh, no default passwords, latest versions, really configure your IoT device to be yours, not just to be an out-of-the-box 
I got it, and now it's working. It's, you really have to take ownership of your IoT device because you know, it's a computer. It's not just you know, something that you plug into the wall. So Michael, we have a story about some malware in the Android marketplace, right? Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it's, technically it's not in the Android marketplace, not in the Google Play Store. Right. But for devices that are loading from other sources, uh, side loading or just mm -hmm. have op open sources available to them, they're grabbing this app somewhere else. Uh, I thought it was a particularly nasty app because um, it, it, it's kind of patient. We've heard about the number of malicious apps going up over time. And uh, this one was particularly troubling because it was trying to harvest credentials that you would use to log in either to a financial institution or to social media. And it's not actually scraping your credentials, but it's overlaying on top of the login screen. Right. And then you're actually logging in, or you're giving it to them because you're seeing that over the top and that's where you're actually putting in your information. Right. Right. It reminded me of way back when we had the Zeus toolkit, which kind of waited for you to log in and grabbed it. You don't have to buy this kit. It's being launched on, on an as-a-service platform. So you simply rent it as a service, and the people behind it are trying to make as many different um, of those overlays. I think they're up to 60 at the time of the report, but they want to make you know a lot of different banks, a lot of social media sites have coverage in their their service they're providing, which is basically taking the credentials of people who don't realize that that Android app is doing that in the background. So when you have this red alert, it actually takes control of your SMS on the device so that if the banking app is doing any kind of SMS two-factor verification, the red alert control can control that too. It also can block incoming phone calls. So if the legitimate bank calls you to say there's been some fraudulent activity in your account, uh, they could block that call so you never receive it. The interesting thing that I saw about this particular uh, family of malware is, is that it seems to be limited to Android 6.0 and lower, which is, you know, at, at the time, it's, that's a couple of revisions back. So I just wonder if they're not working on newer stuff or they're only targeting users on older devices. Well, maybe the price will go up yeah. if you want to rent it for the newer Android platform. Or it's, yeah, I don't know. If they're still making money on, on the old one, why bother paying the put the new mods well, and, and, and not on the, you know, the normal Google Play store either. That's, you know, usually those guys that are, you know, are on the newer stuff is probably you're more likely to have rooted or, you know, the device anyway. So it just seems an odd market that they're targeting for, you know, the, the victim. Yeah, I wonder how successful they're going to be in acquiring victims that would use their devices for banking. I guess social media might be more prevalent on rooted devices and things like that where people are sideloading things. You had mentioned the whole Zeus overlay thing and I thought that I think that's the first time I remember seeing that. So like when you go to the banking website, the malware changes the login page and it might ask for additional fields like mother's maiden name, things that the yeah. bank isn't really asking for, but the malware will ask for it and then send mm -hmm. it along so that they might have information that they need to do a password reset for your account or whatever it is that they might need to pretend to be you to get even more control of your account. How, how prevalent are these sort of side app stores? Certain countries have a lot of third-party app stores, you know, especially ones that have limits, you know, like U.S. limitations. Um, you'll see a lot of them, like I said, in the East, uh, you know, the Far East or, or even the Near East, Russia. You know, they're, 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 they seem to exist, you know, all over, and there's some big ones. So yeah, there's there's quite a few of them. It, it will surprise you that you know when you start looking for those. And I think you'll even find some in the U.S. where, especially for the younger generation, there might be 
apps that cost money or games or things of that nature, and then they trojanize legit games and uh, say, you can have this for free and you can get it on this other marketplace that you can sideload it from. And then you get, you know, younger people who may, might not be as savvy, they just do it because their friend told them how to do it and whatnot. I, t I tell my kids all the time, tan staffle, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. right. You get, you get the side benefit of the Trojan with your free app. Right. <laughs> but they're probably not logging into a banking website anyway. But yeah. they'll probably load into social media. They're yeah. logging into their parents' banking. Right. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing to protect yourself is only to use approved app stores. So the Google Play Store is, you know, they have a level of vetting of applications that are on there. But these private sort of side app stores don't go through the same you know, rigor in approving apps. So if you stick to the approved app store, uh, you're a lot better off. All right, so we have John Markley uh, joining us online this week. And John, uh, I know Apple has released a couple of really new cool gadgets that they made an announcement on last week, but they're also iOS 11 was a release that we can all enjoy, even if you have a you know, iOS or iPhone 7 and whatnot, or another older iPad. So what can you tell us about iOS 11? Thanks, John. There's really, like you said, uh, Apple has released a new version of their operating system, iOS 11. They also even just, just a few minutes ago, from when we're taping this, released 11.0.1. Ah. <laughs> already patched it, yay. <laughs> so there's, uh, and there's, a, there's actually a couple of neat things in this operating system. And, you know, we don't want to spend too much time on this program really talking about features and functions. But when you release an operating system, especially Apple, they tend to patch security bugs. So they've, so they've done two things. They've patched security bugs, uh, in particular with SQLite uh, and also with some Broadcom chipsets. I think we've talked probably about Broadcom and some other things that have happened. These are, these are updated security patches that are in iOS 11. Good, good, good positive there. The, the kind of the one thing that, that is the other issue with iOS 11 is it is a 64-bit operating system. So that means that any devices that are 32-bit and older are no longer supported. And, and, and not all of the Apple devices are 64-bit. Products like Apple iPhone 5C and earlier, including the 5, but not the 5S, it's still good, are not supported. The, uh, the iPads prior to the fourth, or fourth generations and older are no longer supported. So it's important to note that those devices that are no longer supported are not getting security updates. So they're not going to do any 32-bit updates? I, I, you know, I wouldn't say never, but I think that, uh, you know, they, they tend to only move forward, and they're now on a 64-bit operating system. So I don't think they're going to do any... I mean, I would be surprised, barring some catastrophic issue, that they patch the older version. You're really in a bit of a spot if you're using a device that you can't patch. You know, you can't get new versions, you can't you know, get security fixes. So you really need to think about retiring that device. All right, well, good points about iOS 11, though. Yeah. I did not know that, especially that they're going to be, you know, it's going to, it's 64-bit now. It's going to be obsoleting some of the older hardware, maybe at more of an accelerated pace than even before uh, than things had been. And uh, you're not going to get security patches for some of those older devices um that you might have especially like ipads like i know i have yeah. an old ipad still yeah. well it'll be interesting to see if, if people are aware of this and try to exploit those devices yeah. with something that is patched in the newer devices but not patched in the right older if device. something gets discovered we just need to watch and see if there are exploits that will affect those older devices that can't 
take the new release, and if it's necessary, to then maybe even write some updates for those older uh, devices and that older version of iOS. You know, Apple's saying, okay, we're not going to support these devices going forward. Microsoft has said the same thing about some older versions of their operating system. But then when the WannaCry stuff came out and some of these uh, ex exploits, they actually did backport some of these patches to operating systems. right? Right. Yeah. All the way back yeah. to XP. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Right. Um, but uh, uh, it's a very interesting thing to keep in mind because uh, I can see that, especially with iPads, I bet you there's a lot of people who don't upgrade those as frequently as their phones. So see how that goes. So John Markley had a one question quiz this week. He kept Michael and I on our toes. So John, usually when you join us, you bring us a quiz. Do you have a quiz for us today? Of course I have a quiz. Uh, okay. <laughs> this one hopefully isn't too bad, but um, really I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that we have all these standards and standard bodies that help us to determine, you know, all our, our products in you know, in sync, are they meeting, you know, minimum requirements? Typically, we want to exceed those standards. So, so, I, so I have a little quiz on a, a couple of acronyms. Of course, we always got acronyms are fun. And, and I want to see if you all can figure out which ones are real and which ones are fake. All right. So we have these four standard bodies. And so I'm going to read them to you. So the, the first one is GSMA. The second one is NIST. The third one is ISF. And the fourth one is J-M-I-T-G. Mm. Well, the first two are real. Yeah. What are the last two again? So the, the last two are ISF, like uh, Ignatius, Sam Fox. And the last one is J-M-I-T-G. Isn't it International Standards Foundation? Something like that? I think that's real. So we'll go with the last one being false. You guys hit it perfectly. So, the, so, so we have the GSMA is the, is the GSM Association, which is a wireless association. Uh, NIST, of course, NIST, is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. ISF is the uh, Information Security Forum. Ooh. <laughs> is, we we lucked into that one. And then the last one, which is the one you guys got correct, is wrong is the JMITG, which is John Markley is the greatest. Oh, <laughs> I heard of that. <laughs> so, so you guys, hey, see, you guys can make a quiz and get 100% on it. So that's right. really good. But this was a quick one, but I, I thought it was important to, you know, to recognize that, you know, we have standards out there that we need to, you know, be you know aware of and we need to, you know, make sure we're researching when we're developing products or, or looking to see, you know, what product fits certain standards. Okay. Next thing I'm going to do, John Markley is the greatest of all time. <laughs> it has a ring to it. <laughs> all right, so I guess um, we'll take a look at the internet weather for this week. Uh, this is for September 25th, uh, the week of. And this is the most probe ports. Um, there's actually not a whole lot new this week. Nothing surprising. Telnet, 23 TCP. FTP. Uh, we're going to actually talk about that a little bit in the report as well. Now, before all the WannaCry activity, would a 445 have been as high as 5 or no? No. And we got a chart we're going to look at okay. um, that kind of shows how that's changed over time here because that has changed dramatically. This one is the most sources probing, which is usually reflective of botnet related type activity. So you got a lot of devices all doing things in unison in terms of scanning activity. 445 TCP is at the number two spot on the most sources scanning, uh, which is you were just brought up, Joe. Yeah. So let's go take a look at actually the first uh, port, 
which is the one you had brought up, and it's yeah. um, WannaCry. And this is actually a very, well, it's port 445 TCP. This is a five-year chart, so it's very long. And you can actually see five years ago, and if, if we, I think we've talked about this before, if you look even back further, it was probably much higher back when Conficker was around. Conficker used port 445 TCP as well. And over time, things have really cleaned up. And we saw this whole, you know, we're going in a really good positive direction in terms of decreasing the amount of scanning on this port. But then this little weird spike here is right when WannaCry emerged. From that point on, you could see it's almost like a straight up line. It's just been going up and up and up. NotPetya is another one. There's a couple of other malware families of smaller nature trying to exploit that same vulnerability or these suite of vulnerabilities, Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance, Eternal Synergy. So that's a good one to keep an eye on. If you have devices that are exposing this port to the internet or even in your internal network because WannaCry works like a worm, it's very good to have good patching policies in place inside your company to address that. That's what I was gonna mention is that um, you know, these were big stories. Everybody heard about them. Once they kind of knew what it was and said, oh, we, did, we need to apply that patch from March. Mm -hmm. Like, did, did you check with your team? Are we applying the patches? Yes, we're applying the patches. It's very surprising that it kind of moved you know, out of the, the light and people haven't talked about it as much yet. Did, as you can see, there's yeah. as much of it now as, as there was on the day that it was the big story. The fact that we're still seeing more of that traffic on 445 TCP and that ramp hasn't topped off is kind of surprising because it's been a while since I think most people in the industry would say, oh yeah, that was WannaCry happened and it's in the past of 2017. They're not thinking of it as something that's still going on and still going on at a growing rate. There's always little pockets of stuff that people have forgotten about that aren't getting patches. You also have in parts of the world where they might be using illegal copies of Windows and they don't necessarily get all the patches because of that. So that could be contributing to why this is still climbing, you know, since the emergence of WannaCry. 21 TCP, I thought I would bring this up because this is a long-term trend chart. You can see way back here, prior to 2015 timeframe, really not very much scanning activity on here, but there has been kind of a stepped upward trend in terms of the amount of scanning on FTP. When I looked into this, because I hadn't really looked into it in detail before, but I did look into it a little bit more in detail. It's uh, who's contributing most of this. And most of this uptick in terms of the number of scan sources involved is a single web hosting provider. Uh, I'm not gonna name names, uh, but it looks like the web hosting provider is facilitating it for perhaps a security research project. They're not trying to hide themselves. They're saying if you wanna opt out, you can. Uh, so they give you a page to, you know, put your address blocks in to opt out from the scanning. But a lot of people have been marking them as brute force guessers. So they might be trying some really simple default FTP passwords. Maybe they don't do anything bad once they get it. But what that research is, I'm not quite sure. But they're looking for open or exposed FTP servers as part of that activity. So mostly benign, but there's definitely some, some amount of bad guys that are interested in FTP because they can be used for lots of malware infrastructure type botnet operations. It's very common to see a report by somebody in the industry just saying, hey, look at all these open mail relays. Or look at all these anonymous, you can log on as an anonymous uh, guest on these FTP servers. So in order to do that work and publish that report, you got to do stuff that right. could be showing up here. Right. Yeah. Yep. So you think that research accounts for this 
mid-summer yes. spike here? Yeah. I do know that that's the case Okay. because I researched it and I looked back to see when it started. Um, yes. And that seems to be what's happening there. Okay. So, but still, like I said, you know, maybe this much is a researcher and then the rest of it is probably standard people, standard. people who are not researching, they're looking right. to use it for bad purposes. So don't assume it's all good activity because it's not. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one, this one wasn't on the chart, but we've talked about, it. we talked about it two weeks ago because we were somewhere in this clump over here. And this is a really weird port, still confuses the heck out of me. Don't know why they're scanning for this, uh, but I did do a little bit more analysis of this. Back in the late 2016, early 2017, we saw these, you know, uh, increase in scan sources, maybe 7,000 here, and then it went away completely. And then it started again and went up to 65,000 scan sources, which is quite a bit. It trailed off and then it disappeared completely. When I see stuff like this where it disappears completely, that is totally some, some botnet operator saying, hey, everybody, stop what you're doing because it doesn't just stop like that yeah. on a dime. Any kind of gradual shift or, you know, timing out of scanning, you wouldn't see a dramatic stop like that. That tells us that, you know, there was a command sent out to the bots that said, you know, cease activities. Then it kicked up again and it's just starting to trail off again. So we're almost sunsetting on this hump that we're in right now. I don't know if it's gonna go back up, but it might go away like it did for a period of time. It'd be interesting to see if it picked up on a different port at that point you know i think we've seen that before in the past uh, right we have and actually that's a good point because i should so i what i did is i grabbed all the scan sources involved here what their you know what their ip addresses are and i looked at who they were and where they're from and the one thing i found interesting is they are all for the most part majority of them are from latin american countries and they're from uh, these consumer-based internet service providers. Vulnerable home devices probably. I don't know, maybe. maybe. When I actually kind of looked at these devices and these IPs in Shodan, they don't really expose any ports, but Shodan isn't scanning for every port. Right. So it could be some very unknown or little known port that Shodan doesn't know to scan for, but somebody knows. I think you know the jury's still out, but there's definitely something going on. When you see Mexico, Brazil, Peru, okay, United States a little bit, Argentina, Costa Rica, Spain, and then all the others are like just very, you can't even see them on the chart here. They're so small in terms of numbers. It makes me think that it's something to do with devices that are in that part of the world. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'd like to study it a little bit more, but you make a good point. It would be good to see, are these IPs scanning other ports besides 5358? And I didn't get a chance to do that, but that's a good thing to go follow up on to see if they're shifting to something else. The other interesting thing about this is when you look at these scan sources and you look at their scan flows, they never find anybody. They're scanning like crazy. Nobody ever sends back a SYNAC. Huh. So they're sending SYNs, SYN, SYNs across the entire world. Nobody ever says SYNAC. So I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe it's just that, you know, our perspective in AT&T where we can see we don't have a lot of Latin American footprint so, you know, we don't have a lot of devices in our backbone that are going to answer from our customer yeah, space. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm completely theorizing, but I do know that the ones that are involved in it, a lot of them are in this, these Latin American regions. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm kind of interested to see if this goes away completely or not, um, or if it's going to come back or resurge or not, because maybe it'll do like this kind of thing like it did over here, but I don't know, we'll see.
And I think that's all we had for this week. We welcome, you know, everybody who, who's um, watching Threat Track, uh, you know, do their own investigation and try to get some insights. And, you know, the security team at, at AT&T obviously will keep digging to find out more information about what that's all about. Yeah, I mean, this week we saw sort of one of each. We saw the Linux Trojan on Linux devices. We saw uh, iOS issue with the mobile iOS upgrade. And we saw an issue with an Android device. It does show that the attackers aren't just targeting a single uh, type of device or type of OS. There are active exploits against everything out there. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.